Well, if you have a Bible with you tonight, uh, why don't you get your Bible out, and I want you to be finding the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 14. And I've got to tell you on the front end, I've got a kind of strong message tonight that's coming just straight from the Bible, but as you start back up school... Um, I know you want to follow Christ. You wouldn't be here on a Friday night if in your heart uh, there's not a desire to follow Christ. And I want us to look at the words of Jesus again and see what He has to say about following Him because there's always a price. There's, there's a cost to follow Christ. And sometimes it costs us maybe even friends they don't understand our commitment to Christ. Um, it may cost you um, having to make a sacrifice in your walk with the Lord, whatever that would be. And so I want us to look tonight in Luke chapter 14. And the fact of the matter is, it, it will really cost you your entire life to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, Luke chapter 14, I want to begin reading in verse 25. Let me just read this passage. This is what we're going to look at tonight. It's going to be a good Bible study for us to have. Beginning in verse 25 of Luke 14, Now large crowds were going along with him, referring to the Lord Jesus, and he turned and said to them, now, what he's about to say is one of the most shocking things that anyone has ever heard. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What does Jesus mean by this? Verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It really doesn't sound like Jesus is trying to drum up a crowd to make it easy to follow after him. That he's putting out the conditions of what it is to be one of his disciples and there's no fine print in the contract. He, he doesn't trick anyone onto the path to follow him, and, and then once you get down the way, he then tells you the rest of the story. But on the front end, he tells this crowd that in order to follow him, you're going to have to carry your cross, or you cannot follow me. And then in verse 28, beginning in verse 28, he gives two parables. A parable is a is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And he says, in the first parable, it's going to cost you if you follow him. Then in the second parable, he says it's going to cost you if you do not follow me. It's going to cost you either way. Whether you follow me or whether you don't follow me, there's a cost factor. So he says, beginning in verse 28, for which one of you, and Jesus is very direct when he says you, which, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. 
Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all begin to uh, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, "This man began to build and was not able to finish." You see, he didn't count the cost on the front end. He just rushed into a decision. <coughs> to build this tower, but he didn't add up what it was going to cost him to build the tower. And Jesus is using this as an illustration for my life and for your life. Don't make a quick decision to follow Jesus. You need to count the cost on the front end, what it's going to cost you. And then in verse 31, and this this parable is... It is really a shock to their system. Or what king, when he sent out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming, this other king, coming against him at 20,000? So in other words, here's a king with 10,000, and he sees another king coming with 20,000 troops, any king in his right mind would send out uh, a messenger and settle accepting his terms of peace. I don't want to go into battle with a superior king because he'll just wipe me out and I'll perish. So in verse 32, or else when the other is still far away, he sends out a delegation and asks for terms of peace. What, what, what does this mean? Verse 33, so then... None of you can be my disciple. There's no exceptions to this. And one thing about Jesus, he's a straight talker. He doesn't tickle ears. And he doesn't massage egos. Jesus tells it like it is. And that's what I love about reading the Bible and reading about what Jesus had to say because he shoots straight arrows at my heart every time I open the Bible, and that's what he's doing in this passage tonight as we're looking at it. He's giving straight talk to each and every one of us, and he's not just trying to get a bigger crowd. In fact, with these words, he's actually thinning out the crowd because Jesus would rather have a smaller crowd of committed disciples than a large crowd with big numbers of just shallow, superficial people who aren't committed to Him. So let me say that again. You'd rather have a small group here tonight who are sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ, who are willing to go anywhere, do anything, whatever the will of God is. He'd really rather have a handful of disciples like this than if we were to pack out the Rose Bowl and have a massive crowd of people who are just half in, half out. Jesus is not looking for half in, half half out disciples. Would you rather have a handful of diamonds or a truckload of hay? Well, anyone knows I'd rather have just a small amount of what's very valuable. And that's how Jesus began his, his whole ministry that would turn the world upside down. He started out with 12 who were sold out to him, who were able to turn the Roman Empire upside down. And that's what Jesus is looking for here tonight on the campus of UCLA. 
He's looking for a handful who will be willing to follow him and to go anywhere he sends and to obey whatever he teaches and to do whatever he requires. And I wonder here tonight if you would be one of those small handful who are willing to go for broke with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or are you just kind of on the periphery watching what's going on? If so, we're glad you're here, but you're never going to change the world for Jesus Christ until you step into the circle and are committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 33, so then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his possessions. What does that mean? I mean, we don't buy our way into the kingdom and we have to wear something and we have to have a few possessions. What does this mean that we have to give up all of our possessions in order to be a disciple? And Jesus was not a socialist where, where the government owns everything and there's no private possession and there's no private ownership. Jesus never taught anything like that. So what, what does that mean in verse 33? That we have to give up all of our possessions. So he says in verse 34, Therefore salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless. And he's talking about the, the, the person in the crowd who's not sold out to Christ. He says in verse 35, he's, he's just useless. In fact, he's just in the way. He says he, it is useless either for the soil or for the, can you believe this is in your Bible? Or for the manure pile. It's thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I want us to dig into this tonight. I, I, I want Jesus to speak to us through his word, just as if we were in the crowd. <coughs> 2,000 years ago, and we wanted to speak straight to us. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? So I want you to note first in verse 25, the crowds. Let's just start at the beginning of this, and we'll move kind of quickly through this, but I want you to note the crowds. It says in verse 25, now large crowds were going along with him. Wherever Jesus went, people just began pouring out of villages and, and little hamlets and towns. And, and as Jesus was going on right here, he's on his way to Jerusalem, that there are hundreds and hundreds, that there could have been thousands of people who were following the Lord Jesus for many different reasons. Uh, he's been performing miracles. This is blowing the minds of the people. Uh, the blind are seen. The, the lame are walking. Uh, Jesus is even raising the dead. And the word is spreading. People are following. And, and they've heard him preach and teach. And never has anyone ever taught like this. His words just ring with, with truth. And, and so people are, are going along with him. Now, here's what we need to understand. Anytime there's a crowd, a, a religious crowd... They're there for all kinds of different reasons. And it could be the same even here tonight. I mean, some in a crowd like this 
really are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all in. They, they've crossed the line. They, they've burned their bridges behind them. They're, they're, they're all in to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And that would have been true in this day. But there are other people who just want to be wherever a crowd is. I mean, if, if there's a lot of people gathered together, you're just kind of drawn to a crowd like that. You want to be where the action is. And you want to be where your buddies are and where your friends are. And so there that day, no doubt, there were those who were coming who, who, who just wanted to be where everybody else was. And that may even be true here tonight. Uh, others may have just been curious and were wanting to stand on the perimeter and, and look in and, and see what was Jesus going to say next. We've heard about this man from Nazareth. Uh, this man they called Jesus of Nazareth and, and just out of curiosity they're, they're, they're drawn almost like the moth to the flame and so verse 25 large crowds hundreds if not thousands are going along with him and he turned and said to them and what he turns and says to them was intended by Jesus to be jolting it was intended to be shocking. Uh, Jesus was not just, uh, with these words, this is what we call one of the hard sayings of Jesus. And not so much that it's hard to understand, it's just hard to swallow. It's just hard to respond rightly to it because there's no middle ground with Jesus. Either you're all in or you're not in. No one has one foot in and, and one foot out. You're either all in or you're not in at all. So Jesus says in verse 26, if anyone comes to me, now stop right there. To come to Jesus is synonymous with saving faith. It, it means to take a step of faith and to come all the way to the Lord Jesus and entrust your life to Him to save you. That's what saving faith is. Jesus is not talking about walking across the room to come to Him. What Jesus is talking about is in your heart to take that decisive step of faith and to leave where you are in the world and to take the step of faith and to come to Christ within your own heart and soul. To enter through the narrow gate. To cross the line. And so Jesus now is giving the condition for true saving faith. This is what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not just something in your head where you know some facts about who Jesus is and what He said. It requires a commitment. A commitment of your life. And so Jesus defines this commitment of his life. We need to hear this today. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, can you believe this is in the Bible? Does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, he, he cannot be my disciple. What is Jesus saying? Does not the Bible say that you're to honor your father and mother, the fifth commandment? Did 
not Jesus love his own mother? Did not Jesus, when he was hanging upon the cross, say to the Apostle John, Son, behold your mother, and say to his mother, Mother, behold your son? With his dying breath, Jesus was caring for his own mother and loving his own mother. And while he's hanging on the cross, shedding his blood, bearing our sins, he's actually loving his own mother. And does not the Bible say that if a man does not take care of his own household, that he's worse than an infidel? The Bible does say that. Now, we know the Bible never contradicts itself, right? The Bible only speaks with one voice. That what God says in one part of the Bible is what He says in another part of the Bible. So, how do we harmonize this? I'm going to show you. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. And Scripture is the best interpreter of Scripture. And wherever there's a passage of Scripture that doesn't really fit in with the rest of the Bible, another verse will shine light on that passage and make it much more clear or clearer. And that's what we see here in Matthew chapter 10. And if you would look with me in verse 37. Here is the key that unlocks Luke 14 verse 26. It is something else that Jesus said. He says in verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Okay, now I understand. What Jesus is saying in Luke 14, 26, is a very exaggerated statement. It's a figure of speech known as hyperbole. Or you intentionally make an exaggerated statement that has kind of a sharp edge to its to the words. What Jesus is saying in Luke 14 is you must love me more than anyone or anything else in this world or you cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, I must be number one in your life, or I'm not going to be a part of your life. Jesus is saying, either I'm in the front seat behind the steering wheel of your life, or I'm not along for the ride. Jesus is not going to ride in anyone's back seat. Jesus will not be number two in your life. He will only be number one, or he's not going to be in your life. And what Jesus is saying is this. You must love me more than you love those whom you love the most. You must love me more than the loved ones in your own family. I must be number one in your life. I must be your number one affection. I must be your number one love. And the truth of the matter is, is if you will love Jesus Christ more than anyone or anything in this world, He will give you a greater love for your father and for your mother. He will give you a greater love for your brother and for your sister. 
You will have more love in your heart and in your life if you will love Jesus Christ more than anyone or anything else. So come back to Luke chapter 14. I hope your finger is, is still there. And now it becomes obvious. When Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Matthew 10 makes it very clear. You must love me more. So I want to just pause for a moment and ask you this question, if I could be very personal with you. Who do you love the most in your life? What do you love most in your life? Do you love Jesus more than praise? Do you love Jesus more than your friends? Do you love Jesus more than being accepted by your friends? Do you love Jesus more than being successful in this world? Do you love Jesus more than pleasing your father and your mother? Who's number one in your life? What Jesus is saying to this crowd is, hey, you can't just join up with this crowd and think that you're one of my disciples. Because if you're going to be one of my disciples, I must be number one in your life. But Jesus now presses the issue yet even, even harder, if that's even possible. And rather than backing off, Jesus actually thrusts if you will, the, the pointed not tip of the knife more deeply into our soul. And at the end of verse 26, Jesus says, yes, and even his own wife. <laughs> You're going to have to love Jesus more than you love your own wife. You're going to have to love Jesus more than your own comfort more than your own pleasures, more than anyone in your life, including yourself, Jesus will not ride shotgun in anyone's life. Jesus will either be behind the steering wheel in your life, number one, or you don't know Jesus, and you cannot follow him. These are strong words. So how are you going to die to yourself so that Jesus can be number one? He tells us in the next verse, in verse 27, and again, rather than Jesus backing off and making this easier to follow him, Jesus is actually whittling down the crowd even more. You can almost probably hear people mumbling in the crowd, like, how can he talk like this to us? Shouldn't he just be glad that we showed up? Shouldn't he just be glad that we want to give him a place in our lives? No, he won't take the, a place. He will only take the priority. He will only take the preeminence. Or he won't even be in your life. Now, as a, even as I'm saying this to you, I'm saying this to myself. This is a reminder to me what Jesus demands of me. 
to be a follower of him. So he says in verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It sure doesn't look like he's trying to whip up a bigger crowd, does it? He puts it in the negative. For you cannot be my disciple. Now what does it mean to carry a cross? Well, Jesus has not yet died on a cross. He's not talking about Jesus' cross. He says, if you're a disciple, there's a cross for you to carry. Not the cross that Jesus died on, but there's a cross for you. Now, what does that mean to carry a cross? Well, we need to understand what that meant in the first century. Because there was no doubt in anyone's mind what Jesus meant when he said these words. The cross was the form of capital punishment in the first century. The cross was the electric chair of the first century. The cross was the gas chamber of the first century. To carry your cross, what would happen is you would come to the judge's bar. You would come to the courtroom, to the judge's bench. And the case would be presented against you. And if you were found to be guilty of whatever that crime was that was worthy of death, the judge would sentence you to a public execution. It was humiliating. And that public execution in the first century was that you would be literally nailed to a cross and you would hang there until you would die. It was the cruelest form of, of, of capital punishment that's ever been designed because you would hang there for hours and hours. It wouldn't be just over in a second like the gas chamber or, or like an electric chair. It, it, would, it would cause you to, to suffer until you had the only relief, which was death. But on top of that, they made you carry your own cross through the streets of the city and there would be a public announcement and everyone would turn out and they would line both sides of the road and you would be forced to carry your cross and, and the crime that you have committed is nailed to that cross and you would have to carry it through the streets to the public execution sign. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. After he stood before Pilate, he was forced to carry his cross through the streets of Jerusalem on what's known as the uh, Rio del Rosa, Via del Rosa, to Mount Calvary. It's a slow death. You are a dead man walking. It is as though you have already died. And you are recognizing that you are coming under the authority of the Roman Empire. So what does Jesus mean here? And he doesn't just say it here. He says it in multiple places in the four Gospels. What he is saying is that you and I must die to self. That our own life is over. I, I no longer am going my own way. 
I'm no longer doing my own thing. I no longer have my own agenda for my life. I've died to myself. And from this moment forward, I'm following God's will for my life. I'm following God's agenda for what He has for me. I am following God's plan and God's purpose for my life, and I am willing to go anywhere, no matter where He'll send me, whether it's across the street or around the globe. And I'm willing to do whatever He will require of me in the will of God. If not, Jesus said you cannot be His disciple. Now here's the great part. He's got a far better plan for your life than you could ever dream of. He has a far better will and purpose for you. He's already mapped out your future. He already knows the future because He has already foreordained the future. He has already gone ahead of you and He has marked out the greatest life you could ever possibly live. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. But you're going to have to give up your life to Jesus in order to have the greatest life that anyone could ever live. And if you hang on to your life, you're the biggest loser on campus. Because you're going to be stuck with just doing your own thing. And doing your own thing will take you to hell forever. <coughs> what does it profit a man? If he gains the whole world, yet loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? You can either live for the world... <coughs> And lose your life forever. Or you can lose your life right now for the Lord Jesus Christ and you will live forever with Him. But even while you're in this world, you will live the greatest life that anyone could ever possibly live. Not only will you be made right with God and you will be at peace with God, but you will have living inside of you the Holy Spirit who will enable you to live the will of God that He has planned for you. He will go before you. He will open doors that no one else can open. He will protect you. He will guard you. He will guide you. He will provide for you. He will give you joy, real joy. He will give you peace. He will give you love in your heart, even for your enemies. He will cause all things to work together for good in your life if you will just simply give up your life for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the greatest exchange that, that you could ever make. You would give up dirt for diamonds. To give up your little life to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords, all you would give up is your sin to Him and what He would give to you 
is the abundant life that he's come to give. But here's the key. The only way you can have the Christian life is not just by sitting in a church. It's not just by showing up at a Bible study. It's not even just by coming to grace on campus. You've got to commit your life to Christ. And if you'll commit your life to Christ, He's going to put you in church. He's going to bring you here. He's going to put you in a Bible study. But what makes the difference is for you to love Jesus more than anything or anyone else. So I want to ask you this question. Have you died to self? Are you carrying your cross tonight? Do you carry your cross across the campus of UCLA? Do you carry your cross into your dorm? Do you carry your cross into the lecture hall? Do you carry your cross home when you go be with your family? Every moment of every day, a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ is carrying his cross because he has died to his own dreams, he's died to his own ambitions, and now he is living for what Jesus Christ has already marked out for him. Now, again, lest less this come across as an easy path to follow, Jesus gives these two parables. And I want to just look at them very quickly. Because I think you're getting the drift of, of what Jesus was saying that day and what he continues to say tonight. But he gives two parables. The first is in verse, beginning in verse 28 to verse 30. That's the first parable. The second parable is in verses 31 and 32. And they both make the same point, but it comes at it from opposite sides. This is so interesting to me. And Jesus is just brilliant. He is the master teacher. In the first one, he says, you're going to follow me. You're going to have to count the cost. And what is that cost? It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your life. So what if someone says, you know, I don't want to pay that price. I want to keep the control of my own life. I want to be the master of my own life. I just want to go my own way. I don't want to be sold out to Jesus Christ. So Jesus gives the second parable. And Jesus says, if you don't follow me, it's going to cost you big time. Because I'm going to come and make war with you. And I'm going to destroy you. And I'm going to damn your soul in hell forever. And you're going to suffer the torment of the damned without any relief throughout all the ages to come. So you decide which way you want. You want it to cost you now just to give up your life to me and I give you the greatest life you could ever possibly live? Or do you want to just hang on to the control of your own life and just float with the crowd and go your own way. And the second parable of Jesus is saying it's going to cost you as well. 
Don't look very quickly at this. And again, I tell you what I love about Jesus. He's not just pouring honey into your ear. He's not telling you what you want to hear all the time. He, he, he's, he gives us adult conversation. He talks to us straightforward. And so, beginning in verse 28, as he tells this parable, he says, For which one of you, and he's turned around and he's looking into the eyes of everyone in the crowd that night, and he says, you and you and you. Which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost? No one would be so stupid as to try to build a high-rise tower. Now, I've been driving around Los Angeles the last couple days, and there's some really tall buildings. And can you imagine some uh, real estate developer who decides that he wants to build a 40-story tall skyscraper, but he has no idea what it's going to cost to build it. He just has no idea. And he doesn't sit down and take out a pen and paper and do the calculation what is actually, how much money is this actually going to cost me? Because once you start this project, if you hadn't counted the cost and you come up short, you would have wasted what little money you had just to lay a foundation and get this thing up and going. And then you realize, oh my goodness, I don't have what it's going to take to finish this project, and, and so you just walk away, and people come walking by, and they look at just this foundation, and there are a few studs that are that are going up. People begin to laugh at you. You're the biggest fool in town. That you just rushed into this, and it never even dawned on you that you should do an estimate on this, on what this is going to cost you, and do you have what it takes? To finish it. So the application is obvious. You're going to follow Jesus. You need to count the cost. What's the cost of it? It's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you your own plan for your life. It's going to cost you not living according to the world in the world's values, in the world's system. It's going to cost you sacrifice for others. It's going to cost you loving your enemies. It's going to cost you marrying the person that God has for you, not what you want. It's going to cost you a hundred different ways. You're going to have to count the cost. Or you know what? You're going to give the appearance of making a decision for Christ, and you're going to walk with Him for a couple months. You might walk with Him while you're here at UCLA, and then you graduate, and you get out in the real world, and you decide to fold your tent, and you don't want anything to do with the Lord. You're a fool. In fact, you're the big, it would have been better to marry you started follow Christ. But you just wasted all that time. So what Jesus is saying 
if you count the cost on the front end, so I, I need to ask you this. Have you counted the cost of what it is to be a Christian? Have you counted the cost of what it is to be a follower of Christ? Because it's going to cost you your own self-will and to die of self. Now, some of you here tonight may be thinking, man, this is like over the top stuff. I, I, I'm not ready to die to self. I, I don't really want to be sold out to Christ. I, I want to keep all my options open. I want to play all ends into the middle. I, I want to be here with this crowd on Friday night, but I want to be with a different crowd on Saturday night. And, and I want to just be able to blend in wherever I go on campus, and I'll have this set of friends over here, but I'm going to have a whole different set of friends over there. I, I, I don't want to give my entire life to Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus lays it out for us. I don't have to make this up. So he says in verse 31, See for yourself in your own Bible. I didn't put it there. It's been there. For what king? And when he says what king, he's referring to the people in the crowd who have not yet committed their life to Jesus Christ. That's what this king is. The one, the king who's ruling his own life. Uh, the king who's calling the shots in his own life. Or what king would he set up to meet another king in battle? You know who this other king is? It's the one telling the story. It's the king of kings. And the Lord of lords. The sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. The Lord Jesus Christ. When he sets up to meet another king in battle, would Jesus really be coming against me in battle? Uh, yes, he will if you're not committed to Him, you're going to meet Jesus, although it's not the way you're going to want it. You're going to meet Jesus in battle. And he says, or what king, when he sets up to meet another king in battle, will he not first sit down and consider, and that word consider means calculate, do the math on this, whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000 men. So you need to do the math on this if you choose not to be committed to Christ. What have you got going for you? And when he comes, he is the omnipotent Lord of heaven and earth. All power and all authority belongs to him. He has created the entire world out of nothing. He is controlling everything that there is. And when you meet Him on the last day, when you meet Him in the judgment, do you think you will have enough to overturn His verdict? Do you think you will have enough to escape His wrath? He says, in verse 32, hey, you need to accept His terms of peace. You need to settle out of court. You need to call this off while you can. You don't want to meet him in the battle. You want to right now accept whatever his terms of peace are. So he says in verse 32, or else while the other, referring to the king of kings, is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of 
peace. Jesus offers his terms of peace to you tonight. He's offering you a way out where you will not have to meet him in the battle. And you know what those terms of peace are? You're going to have to hate your own father and mother and brother and sister, yes, even your own life. And you're going to have to take up your cross and follow after Jesus. That's the only acceptance of his terms of peace. You're going to have to surrender your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, or you'll meet him in the battle. And it will not be well. Jesus, he's not trying to butter up the crowd. <laughs> Jesus is not trying to play popular. Jesus would rather have a smaller crowd of committed people who are genuine, true disciples than to have a massive crowd, a superficial, shallow Half in, half out. Followers in a crowd. So he says, verse 33. <laughs> and again, Jesus, he just never lets off the gas pedal. I mean, he just keeps pushing down on the gas pedal. He's actually upping the ante, if you will. He's actually making it more difficult to follow him. Verse 33. So then... None of you can be my disciple. This kind of sounds negative, doesn't it? So then none of you can be my disciple. It does not give up all his own possessions. Again, what in the world is this? Mean? It does not mean that you have to sell everything you own and give all whatever money you get from it give it all away. Because if you did that, then we'd have to take care of you. So don't do that. <laughs> this, and it certainly doesn't mean you have to give everything up, take that money and give it to God so you can buy your way into the kingdom of heaven. It's not up for sale. You don't have enough money anyway. What this means is there's going to, have to be the transfer of the ownership of everything that you own to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a car, I don't know if you do. Your car is not your car anymore. That's Jesus' car. He's just lending it to you, right? Whatever money you have, whether your parents have given it to you or whether you have a job and you've earned it, that's not your money anymore. That's Jesus' money, and you're to use it in the way that will most glorify Him. Everything that you own is no longer yours. It's under new management. It's under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And everything that you have and everything you own, you're just simply a steward that has, this has been entrusted to you for a little period of time, but it doesn't even belong to you. When you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not just your life 
now belongs to Jesus. It's all your possessions belong to Jesus. He just allows you to keep it in your hand and to use it, but you need to pray about how Jesus wants you to use whatever it is He allows you to have. Everything you are and everything you have, if you're a true disciple, belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you come to that place in your life? Have you come to that realization that your entire life belongs to Jesus? All your possessions belong to Jesus. That everything you are and everything you have belongs to Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a genuine disciple of Christ. Let me put it to you this way. This is Christianity 101. This is kindergarten entry level Christianity. That you're sold out to Jesus Christ. And I remember when I sat where you are now sitting, when I was in college, when I was your age, I came to the place where many of you have come tonight. But I was sold out to Jesus Christ. I was willing to go anywhere, do anything, as he would give me the grace to do. And it was the greatest commitment and the greatest decision I've ever made in my life. And I have never regretted it for one half of a millisecond. If I had 10,000 lives, I would give every single one of them to Jesus Christ. So he concludes, and we'll wrap this up, verse 34, therefore, salt is good, yeah, salt is good, it flavors things. Salt is good, it retards corruption. Salt is good to even throw into a manure pile so the stench is not just reeking. It says salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless. What that means is some salt isn't really salt. Some salt just looks like salt, but it's fake salt. Just like there were fake disciples in the crowd that day. He says, even if salt has become tasteless, with what will it be seasoned? The idea is nothing can make fake salt become real salt. He says, verse 35, it is useless either for the soil or for the manure pile. And the point Jesus made with the crowd, with the crowd that day is, if you don't commit your life to me, your life is useless. And you're not even any good for the manure pile. I mean, that's pretty strong language. Isn't it? This is from the lips of the Son of God the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy One of God, the Messiah, of whom they said no man ever spoke like He spoke, the One who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, if you're not sold out and committed to me, 
Your life is not even good enough to retard the stench of a pile of dung. He then concludes by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, don't let this just go in one ear and come out the other ear. This needs to go in one ear and go straight down in your heart. Are you hearing what Jesus said 2,000 years ago? Forget me. <coughs> Hear what Jesus is saying. And with this invitation, he is inviting you to follow him. But you may only follow Jesus on his terms, not your terms. And Jesus' terms are very simply... He must be number one in your life. You must recognize His Lordship over your life. He must be your greatest love. He must be your greatest devotion. He demands your allegiance. He demands your loyalty. And if you will follow Him, I promise you, on the authority of the Bible, you will live the greatest life you could ever live. If you keep your life to yourself, you're going to ruin your life. But if you will die to self and give your life to Jesus, He will give you the abundant life that He came to give. These are hard words. But please know He's inviting you to follow Him. And this invitation is going out to your heart this very moment. Will you accept his invitation? Will you follow him on his terms? Have you already committed your life to Christ? If so, then this is a, 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 a reaffirmation for you to drive a stake down. Yes, Lord Jesus, I understand the terms. And I reaffirm my commitment to you. If you have never made this commitment, I would urge you to do so tonight, this very moment. It's by no coincidence that you're here tonight, that I'm here tonight, that I brought this message. God has obviously intended for you to hear this message tonight. What will you do with this truth? What will you do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Will this just go in one ear and out the other? Or will it come in your ear and go down in your heart? And will you respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ? Will you step out of the crowd? Will you leave the crowd behind and come stand with the Lord Jesus and with those who have decided to follow Him? May God give you the grace in your heart and in your life to be a true, genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. It is the greatest life you could ever possibly live. And to be half in and half out is the worst life you could ever live.